0: We've called upon God to join us this morning as we worship Him, we've confessed faith in Him, we have confessed our sin to Him, we've offered our lives as a living sacrifice to Him as we've offered our morning offerings this morning, we have heard His scripture, it convicts, and now we call upon Him as His children. So will you now go before the Lord with me? Let us call upon Him now. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you in grace and truth that we could come before your throne this morning, not as outsiders, not as aliens in a land far away, but as children in your court. You've given us a great honor and privilege to gather as a people, to worship you, but also to call upon you in our need. We pray, O Lord, for our civil government uh, over us. We think of those within our own county. We think of Madison County and the surrounding counties that are represented here within our own congregation. We pray, O Lord, that within these areas that You'd use the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to preach Christ to the dead and dying around. We pray, O Lord, that the governments found within these communities, that they would enact policies, O Lord, that not only honor You, but create prosperity within our own land. We pray, O Lord, for grace in that regard. We pray, O Lord, that You instill within every official the gravity of of the office that they hold as what the great reformers would call as common ministers in the world around. We pray, O Lord, that through their work, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be blessed, protected, and continue to grow. But We pray also, O Lord, for the common man that through the policies that all would benefit, even within our own towns, even with our own neighbors. We also pray, O Lord, for a mission within your own church. We think, O Lord, of Mosaic as they help many pregnant women not only protect life, but teach women, men and women, to rear children well. We pray, O Lord, for their mission and work, that you would bless them even now, that those who would come in contact with them, and there are so many, especially with the growing nature of various laws, That you would bless this ministry with greater scope, greater work, but that you would keep them on task for what they and their mission are called to do, to protect life, sacred life, all life, as all life is created in the image of God in humanity. So we pray, O Lord, for Mosaic and their work, that you'd continue to bless them, but in that blessing, O Lord, that many would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that not only would we see human life spared, but we would also see, O Lord, human life saved. Not merely saved temporally, but saved eternally. And so we pray, O Lord, that those who are connected with Mosaic, that they would wield the gospel in such a gracious and winsome way, that those who are in rebellion against you would know you and know you purely and true. We pray also, O Lord, for those who are lost in the world, We think of those uh, who are lost in South America this morning. We pray, O Lord, for the many countries there, as there's many, O Lord, religions found within that continent. We know that there are Christian religions, Catholicism, but also religions native to the lands therein. We pray, O Lord, that all would fall to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to true and saving faith in you. We pray, O Lord, for a softening of hearts within those countries Found there. And we pray, O Lord, that you'd raise up gospel ministers within those countries, but also without throughout, within our own country, to be sent there. We pray, O Lord, when we think of the Presbyterian Church in Brazil, the longest conservative Presbyterian body in in many of the the known world. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to use this denomination. We pray, O Lord, that you'd continue to raise up faithful men, and that through their witness and work the church of Brazil, would continue to grow through this various denomination. We also pray, O Lord, for sanctification. We pray, O Lord, that we as a people at Providence Presbyterian Church would continue to grow in grace and truth, and that that would come, O Lord, through the constant reminder of your ordinary means of grace. We thank, O Lord, of your word, of your sacraments, of the prayers that you've given to us, even the one that we pray now, that you, O Lord, use these common things to grow us in greater knowledge and truth and faithfulness. That we grow and become more like Christ through these ordinary means. We pray, Lord, that these means would not only be found within our worship on Sunday morning, but that these ordinary means, particularly prayer, particularly also the word, would be found within our family's lives. And that the sacraments would be reflected upon even as we take them not only here on Sunday, but also throughout the week as we are reminded of those times, whether that be of our baptism that was maybe perhaps so long ago, but also the supper that we take here monthly. May we dwell, O Lord, upon your ordinary means that you use to grow us in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not be starved of any one of them, but may we, O Lord, grow in each and every one of them. We pray, O Lord, for those who need help as well. We think of the Heritage Reformed Church of Iran who is dealing with particular persecution and and jailing as has been made known throughout this week. We pray, O Lord, that you'd continue the church's resolve there, that you'd grant them grace and mercy at this time, that you remind them of the courage that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ of bearing cross even in the midst of difficulty. We pray, O Lord, that you'd prosper this church this denomination, and that you, O Lord, would prosper every persecuted church by your grace and mercy. We also pray with those who are ailing within our own context. We continue, O Lord, to lift up Joanne. We pray for further healing. There's been much healing, but there needs to be more, O Lord. And so we call upon you. Condescend, come. Grant Joanne an extra portion of your spirit to comfort her, but also, O Lord, bring about healing, and healing quickly. We pray, O Lord, for a quick resolve. And if not that, we pray, O Lord, that you would use the doctors among her to chart a way forward for her sake quickly. We pray, O Lord, for full strength in the Ostendorf home. And we pray that that comes, O Lord, by your grace and mercy. There are many, though, O Lord, who are ailing, who are hurt, who doubt, we are going through many struggles, many unnamed that I myself don't even know. Lord, you know them, and you intercede upon each and every one of them in our own hearts as we confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear all of our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you now to turn with me to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We'll be picking up in Luke 1, verse 26. 26. last week we heard of the remarkable foretelling of the forerunner of christ john the baptist and his birth through the work of gabriel as he came to zachariah in the temple as he served as priest this week we hear of jesus's birth foretold and if you'd be you'd be mistaken if you looked at this passage and say well it sounds kind of similar an angel comes righteous people are there a birth Foretold, but you'd be mistaken to think that they are the same story. There are subtle details that separate both John from Jesus, separating, as we talked about last week, Elijah from Elisha. As we have read some of the books of some of the Old Testament, with First Kings, we've seen the ministry of Elijah, and Elijah's ministry is great. It is awesome. We've just read a story of the miraculous soaked wood. Lighting up in flame as the great prophet called upon the Lord. We all know Elijah. But how many of you know the same stories of Elisha? It's quite remarkable, actually. Elisha's ministry mirrors the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know the, those stories like we do of the great burning of the bales. It's amazing. Jesus is like Elisha. And what we'll find out as the birth of Jesus comes, as we continue to read 1st and then 2nd Kings, we will see a miraculous prophet that is greater than Elijah that came before. Greater than Elisha as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. But now stand with me as we hear the foretelling of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to take note particularly on how Mary receives the prophecy of the Lord today from Gabriel. Hear now the word of God from Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of the angel, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favored one, the Lord." and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, relate, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Sometimes intervention is needed. It is needed. When I was a boy in elementary school, I was a lousy reader. So lousy that intervention was needed. I needed to meet with a reading tutor Monday, Wednesday, Friday, throughout the course of the entire year. I, re- I remember fond memories of Mrs. Shoemaker. Mrs. Shoemaker would come by my class, a delightful lady, a kind-hearted, warm lady, the, my favorite teacher um, from my elementary experience. And I had many hours of one-on-one, her teaching me to read better. I was a lousy reader. I was embarrassed. And that embarrassment would often shine forth through whenever a teacher asked me to read anything. I I hated reading as a kid. It's quite ironic in the Lord's providence the amount of reading I do now, both privately in my own study, but also publicly before 100 people or so. the Lord is perhaps a jokester in that regard. But I was a lousy reader. And I remember that as Mrs. Shoemaker would bring me into her office every week on and on again. We'd read Berenstain Bears, Goosebumps, whatever piqued my interest just to get me in books so that I could read. I remember thinking I had two options with her. I could have been resilient in my defiance against her. I could have ignored her, could have continued in my ignorance, or I could have submitted to her. I'm grateful for both your sake and mine that I chose to submit to her wanted to become a better reader. I was a, my mind was much more geared towards sciences and and math than the literature and the arts. But I'm grateful for Miss Shoemaker because it was through Miss Shoemaker's work though she would never know it in middle school I would find a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. And then that through her work paid dividends in college and seminaries. I would read some of the most difficult works that I could have ever imagined. But all those years ago as I reflect I needed intervention. Without her intervention, I'd likely not be a minister here today. I'd still be a poor reader, a lousy reader, and I may still be a lousy reader, a better one. I needed intervention. and the announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see divine intervention. We need intervention. Mary needs intervention. Humanity needs intervention intervention and in the, in the intervention of the angel here in the foretelling of the coming of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ we see a great divine intervention and Mary has two options before her. she could be like the last passage that we saw a passage of a priest a great priest who was doubtful of the coming of their own son or we could see an obedient Mary which would Mary choose well Mary as we all know chooses obedience when god acts she submits and it is a marvelous tale then for each and every one of us here when god acts we could either be like zachariah and our doubt and skepticism or we can be like mary and submit to the words of the lord today you might think as we're studying both the last week with the birth of john the baptist being foretold and now the birth of jesus being foretold that there's not much difference they both questioned the angel. They are both from righteous parents. They're both from women who did not expect to become pregnant and then have children who would become great. There are so many similarities, but their stories are kind of like the color white. Every white is white until you compare it to another white. You know this well as you pick up those pink chips from Lowe's or from Home Depot. You compare them together and one white doesn't even seem white anymore. Um, we, we've had colors in our own home we thought were white they're cream completely different once you paint them you'd know it's the same for the stories here today you might compare the old story that we heard last week of the birth of john the baptist and think these are the same stories just re-ran through the chronicles through luke and given and spit out again but they are different because what separates the story from john to jesus Though they come from wise, godly parents, though they come from women who do not expect to conceive, one would be the forerunner and the other would be the Christ. And we'll see that by the actions of Mary, by her submissiveness to the Lord, the great work of that submission to God in the work, as Gabriel called it too, that there is great news then for us as well. Mary's holy response then, and what I want you to know today, Mary's holy response informs our response to God himself. When God works then in your life, how are you to respond? When God acts, when there is divine intervention, when he sends his spirit to regenerate your heart, to call you to himself, when God comes, when God acts, we submit. We're going to look today at the what we submit to, who we submit to, and how. That's what we learn from this passage through Mary. So when God acts, we submit. When God intervenes, we submit. What do we submit to? If you look down, we submit to his word. You may say, well, where is the word of the Lord here? It is through his messenger, Gabriel. Gabriel's only mentioned explicitly about four times within the scripture. We didn't cover him last week. I ran out of time, and so we're covering him this week. Who is Gabriel? Well, he's pulling double duty in the Gospel of Luke. Six months prior, he had to do an act in the temple itself and calling Zachariah, revealing to him that his barren wife would have a child. And now, six months later, he comes back again, not in the temple, outside the temple, in a no-name, nowhere place, to reveal an even greater message to Mary, the cousin of Elizabeth. This family is great in their blood apparently as Gabriel comes to them. But where does Gabriel come from? Well, we've been studying the book of Daniel in our Sunday school hour and we've heard once already in Daniel 8 that Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, comes to Daniel and reveals and explains his vision. But even today as we'll study Daniel 9, we'll see that, Dan- that Gabriel will come again. Gabriel will come again and he will give Daniel a 70-week prophecy, a much contested and debated prophecy within the Old Testament. Gabriel was a great angel. He was tasked with very important works, works of life and death, of future and past. Gabriel was a messenger. He was an archangel, at least according to ancient tradition. He was one that was tasked in, in the heavens to be this witness to mankind. Gabriel was a great and skilled angel. We tend to think that just because angels are all perfectly sinless, that they are all the same. But no, Gabriel is skilled. He is a skilled messenger of the Lord sent to Mary to relay a message from God to her. But the great messenger has an even greater message. Look at verses 28 to 33. It it expounds what is it that Gabriel is tasked to share from God. Well, we see that as he greets Mary, he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The message is simple. It is not expansive. It is not complex. You will bear a son. His name you'll give the name Jesus. Jesus is, though Luke does not give much detail in why or how Mary would receive it, Jesus would have been known by Mary to be a significant revelation. The fact that the angel Out of his lips and mouth, as it hit her ear, when she heard Jesus, it would have sent her heart in a fluttering fit. She'd been excited with anticipation. Because when she heard the word Jesus, she heard Yeshua. She heard Joshua. He saves. The one that you will bear is not some random name picked out of a book that you bought in order to name your child. It is one that the angel himself gives. Your son will be one that saves. He has an extraordinary task ahead of him. He will be great because he will be the savior. He will be the Messiah. Mary would have known by that name that what she had hoped for, what she had prayed for long as a faithful Jew is coming to realization in her womb. A faithful Jew, she expected this. Maybe not from an angel in the middle of nowhere, Perhaps from the temple, but she, in great expectation, there would be no confusion. And, and the angel is so clear, he says, "If you don't even understand, because you're a lowly Nazarite, if, if you don't understand the meaning of Jesus, let me tell you." In verse thirty-two, he will be great. He will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High God. He'll be the Lord. He and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom will know no end. If you don't know who the Jesus is that you will bear, I will tell you. He'll be the great Davidic king continued. The one promised. The one that maybe Mary would have recalled when David said, the Lord said to my Lord. The God said to my king. Who is the king that David calls upon? It would be the one in the womb of Mary. Who is the Lord of David? It is The one that comes after him, as we'll find out later in the gospel. The one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The God says to my king. You may have questioned in your great Christian experience every Christmas as you listen to the song, uh, Jesus or Mary Did You Know? I'm sure you all have heard it. I, I must admit, as I've studied the birth narratives, it's been Christmas in almost July. Now it's July for me. And so I've been listening to nonstop Christmas music, religious Christmas music at that. Uh, But I I was listening to Pentatonix this week. And and I was listening to Mary Did You Know? And and I had to because of this passage that I'd be preaching. And let me me give you the spoiler for that song. The answer is yes. Mary did know. Mary did know. I can settle the debates in your family that you've had every year since that song was written. She did know. Why did she know? It because she was a righteous faithful Jew looking for the Messiah. Every Jewish family since the time of Adam waited for Genesis 3.15 to come to fruition. What does Genesis 3.15 says? say? It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the gospel. There would be one that comes after Eve who would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent. And so every Jewish family, like how they would celebrate Passover, would wait in anticipation when a righteous man would rise. Is this the one who would crush the head of the serpent? Is it Seth? Who will it be? Is it Moses? Is it David? Is it Samuel? They waited in great anticipation. Who will be the one that crushes the head of the serpent? Is it Elijah or Elisha? Is it one of the prophets? They would have waited in eager anticipation. But as the scripture reveals, quite often as as these great men would rise, they'd often fall. Whether it be Moses striking the rock when he shouldn't have and his anger overwhelming him. Or David himself who would commit all sorts of heinous sins. None would live up to the great call of Genesis 3.15. Mary would know this, and so she would wait. She would wait in great expectation. When will this Messiah come? When will the great Joshua come? She would have known. She didn't know all the details, though. So maybe the song is right. Did Mary know he would walk on water? Did Mary know how to raise the God-man? I expect that as Mary received this prophecy, there was great wonderment. Yes, she knew who she would bear, but I am sure she wondered, how on earth will I do this? How will I bear the Son of God? How will I nurture Him? For my own posterity, though my inferior by birth is superior in divine light, how will I do this? So you see... She knew the results, she knew the expectation, but she didn't know the, all the little details in between. It's kind of like how I build Legos with my kids. I love to build them. I tell them we're building a plane. They expect a highly detailed, dense plane by the end of it, but they don't know how we get there. They, they wonder, they're in wonderment throughout the whole process as it slowly comes together. It's like a picture being filled in And then they finally have, at the end, they know the end. I knew it was going to be a plane, Daddy. I didn't know it was going to be like this. Perhaps that's how Mary feels at this moment when she receives this great prophecy, that you will bear Jesus. She knows where it's leading. She knows that he'll be the Son of God that will reign for all eternity and save many. But how? How will this look? It's a great wonderment that Mary has. And in that wonderment, she submits. She submits to the word of the angel. She says, I am your servant. We live in an age where there are many claims for salvation and we all submit to something. We all are submitters. Uh, Some submit in our own context to the government. They think that if they submit to the government, there will be salvation for me. I will have a comfortable life. Some submit to a salvation that comes by their own works. If I only do the right things, if I only fix my attitude, if I only act a certain way, if I, if I prepare and care for my family, I will be made right. Some submit to salvation that comes from their own false gods, some of those gods being themselves. If I only make myself perfect in my own sight, then I will have salvation. But who do we submit to? We submit to God in His Word. As the world crumbles around us, as it relates to salvation and they're expected in, we have a salvation that does not change because we have a word that does not change. Whether that be Christ himself or the word therein, we have a God who does not change. Salvation has changed greatly in the American experiment over the past couple of decades. What is it to be a good citizen in America? It has changed, but not so with those who follow Christ. When God acts, we submit. we we submit to a word that does not change mary knew that the moment that the angel said these words that they would not change what he has said will come to pass and what does she say may it be so and so we learn in this passage what we submit to but we also learn who we submit to it's striking we submit then to a lowly king we submit to god's word but we also submit to a lowly king there's there's much oxymoronic language uh, in this passage, from pregnant virgins to lowly kings. What is the heritage of the one that we submit to? Well, it is both regal and lowly. You see that the Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, comes to Mary and reveals who this son will be. He will be in the line of David because you are of the line of David, he's a son of David. As we are reminded in the scripture, the rod will not depart from Jesse. And therefore, in order to bring salvation out for God's people, it must maintain that promise, that promise that God made to David in the book of Samuel, chapter seven, 2 Samuel. That God would make David's name great and that he would create for David an eternal kingdom. David was promised greatness, as we see in this passage, that Jesus himself will be great. We see the whole Davidic promise for salvation found in this first chapter of Luke and it strikes us straight back to the promise that God made with David. That through the Son there will be rest. That through the promise of the Son that there will be an eternal dynasty that never ends. There will be an eternal kingdom. There will be a great adoption that many would call upon him. There's a heritage, a human heritage that Jesus possesses in his humanity. But his heritage is even greater than just the regal nature of human uh, greatness. You see that his heritage is divine. If you look in verse 32 of chapter 1, you see that he'll be called the Most High, the Son of the Most High. In the Old Testament, this means that this is a person that is set apart for a special task. You see it perhaps in Ezekiel, as Ezekiel often evokes the Son of God language. But there's more than just Jesus being set apart for a special task. This is a double meaning. He is truly the Son of the Most High God. He has a divine heritage. The Gospel of John, as you all know, perhaps even memorized, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus, the one who'd be born here of the Virgin, would be God himself. He has a deep heritage. A deep heritage. But there is a lowly reality. Though he has the greatest history, the situation that he is humanly born into is quite low. Mary in the Davidic line and her soon-to-be husband Joseph were impoverished. Mary at the time was probably 12 or 13 years old, She is transitioning from childhood to motherhood she is poor she's uneducated she doesn't know how to read she is a female in a culture that certainly looked down on females she's not of great status she is of a lowly status and to make it even worse not only is she a woman of a lowly status, she lives in a town of a lowly status. You are reminded of John when he says, what good can come out of Nazareth? Kind of reminds me of the Scottish Reformation. There's a book on the Scottish Reformation that reveals that Scotland was the backwaters of all of Europe. What good can come from Scotland? Well, Scotland, after Knox, would be transformed quite Remarkably, but not as remarkably as what Christ comes from Nazareth to do. Kent Hughes says Mary was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. This is a lowly birth. Our catechism says where did Christ's humiliation consist? It consists of him being born in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life and then the wrath of God itself on the cross. Christ is born in a lowly state. But don't be mistaken. Just because he is born in a lowly state, look at the favor that the angel presents to Mary. Though she's uneducated, though she's from uh, the middle of nowhere, from a nowhere town with a a no known name, how does the angel approach her? In verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That word favorite is the same word or derives from grace. Grace, as I love to teach youth, means unmerited favor. And no one knows the distinction between grace and mercy. If I asked each and one of you on the spot, distinguish grace and mercy, you'd you'd shriek back and say, You tell me I don't want to deal with those kind of questions, Pastor. Grace is unmerited favor. It is Getting what you don't deserve mercy just for your own sake so you know is not getting what you do deserve <laughs> you deserve wrath and you don't get it. Grace is giving and getting a gift when you don't deserve it it's when my child I tell him to clean up his room and he does such a poor job and I decide because he's a child he has done well enough I show mercy on him because it could be perfect and it is not. But then I show grace when I go to the refrigerator and grab a popsicle and give it to him. Though he did not deserve the popsicle because the room was not perfect, he received it. Mary is favored. She has received grace from God, unmerited favor. Nothing that she has worked or caused has given her this favor in God. It is remarkable in that sense. She is favored like Noah was favored and called righteous and. Genesis 9. She's favored like Moses who led the Egyptians out of, uh, out of Egypt to the land of promise. She's favored like Gideon and his mighty 300 who would take back parts of the promised land. She is favored like David as he is out gallivanting in the, the meadows protecting his sheep from lions and then chosen to be king. She's favored like Samuel and Samson. She is favored. She has received God's grace. She is favored one. But even as the favored one, she fears. You see the anxiety of Mary. If I were visited by an angel tonight, I'm sure I'd have a similar response. She's uneasy. Though the angel professes good intentions, you are favored one, oh Virgin Mary. She responds in, what do you want with me? (laughs) I know I am favored, but just because I'm favored doesn't mean that it eases her own experience. She is nervous. What does the Lord want with me? I'm sure her thought was. But when the angel reveals what he wants with her, that anxiousness, though lowly as it is, departs as she submits to the lowly king. She is a lowly servant girl submitting to a lowly king. Who do you submit to? That's the question. Who do you submit to this morning? We're all called to submit to a lowly king. As an American, I always want my leaders to, pers- to just to show great confidence, competence in their own being. I want them to show that they are qualified by their status to lead me. I expect to have a great high leader in my own country. Perhaps you expect to have a great high pastor leads in confidence and strength who do you submit to we submit to as christians the lowly king we are but like mary humble ignorant servant girls what do you want with me O oh lord who do we submit to well it's also the reminder perhaps then of god's grace in your life the great lowly king is the one you submit to by god's grace Every one of us, not by our own works, but by his, submit to his grace. So when God acts, we submit. We submit to his word. We also submit to our lowly king. And finally, we learn the how. How do you submit? Well, we submit as his slaves. That's what the last verse tells us. If you look down at verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's response is much different than Zachariah's response. She asks a question, but her response is much different. I am your slave. I am your servant. A great miracle is about to happen. What had happened with uh, Elizabeth is remarkable. She is, not, she is past her prime as it relates to having children. It's remarkable that she could conceive. But what is happening to Mary is a miracle. She is a virgin. She has had no relation. There's no reason, biologically speaking, for her to become pregnant. It is a miracle. We see how that miracle will come to be in verse 35 that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and that the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is no Zeus experience here, this is true miraculous example. The example given that the, the spirit will overshadow her it will be like the Shekinah a, a smoke that would flood the temple. It, it was a true miraculous experience. She would just be pregnant. She would wake up one day and she would just be pregnant. A true miracle. And so when Mary asks a question, you have to understand the miracle inside. She asks, how can this be? You may say, well, that's the same thing that Zechariah asked. And he got the nice gift of being mute for the next nine months. But it's not the same question. It's not. There's one word that is different in this passage. Zechariah asks, how can this be? Can this be? And that is to show his inherent skepticism. My wife is way past her time to conceive and bear a child. How can this be? You can sense the skepticism. Yeah, right. This can't happen. We all know it. We've been praying for this for decades. Mary's response is, how will this be? The word will presupposes that it will happen, but how will it happen? My wife tends to like when I use the word will instead of can. I will take out the trash is much better than I can take out the trash. Because just because I can take out the trash doesn't mean I will take out the trash. That's the difference between these two responses. One is can with skepticism, perhaps a lack of follow through. The other is will. How will you do this? Because I'm a virgin. She is at wonderment. How? I've heard of great miracles, but how? And then the Lord tells her, by the spirit that indwells within you. Mary is not sinless. She is not perfect. We live in an area with many lapsed Catholics, perhaps in our own congregation. I must bring you that news Mary is not perfect. She is sinful. She does not act perfectly. She sinned before the birth of Christ, sins after the birth of Christ, but that question is not an evidence of her sin. It is of wonderment. And how does Mary's wonderment lead her to, let it be according to your word. Let all that you've said to me, let it be. You see, Zechariah needed a sign to believe. Mary believes and then gets a sign. The sign that she gets is, something that does not happen to her. The sign that she gets is the reminder that what I have done to your cousin who has been shut up for the last six months is pregnant. You want to know what I say is true, go visit Elizabeth, and we'll see that visit happen here shortly. That is your sign. You get a sign too. It's just not the same. You will see that I am true because of your cousin who has born a remarkable child is pregnant. You will have a sign. It will not be silence. It will be a joy as you see your cousin who is wedded with a child. Mary doesn't know the extent of everything that she is about to go through. But she trusts in the Lord. That's the key takeaway. How do you submit, you trust in what the Lord has promised you? How do you submit to the Lord? You trust like Mary trusted are you willing then to be god's servant as mary is god's servant are you willing to trust him at his word as revealed in the holy scripture are you willing to give up control are you willing to put things into another's hands then outside of your own hands are you willing to be a servant a true servant of the lord by offering all that you are all of your name all of your possession all of your control are you willing to give it up like mary gave it up I'm sure as a girl, she did not envision the life that would become hers. I'm sure she did not envision bearing the Messiah. I'm sure she did not envision standing at His cross as He would die, but 33 years later or so. It is not the life that she envisioned, but it is the life that she submitted to in the Lord Jesus Christ. She gave up control. She realized that the work that she was set out to do would not be merely raising a child, but she'd be raising a child... That is the God-man. Her life changed incredibly at the moment that this angel appeared to her. All of her dreams that she had once had would evaporate as she now has a sole purpose of rearing the child that the angel told her to bear. She is a servant. And you can see that exhibited by those last words there: I am your servant. Behold, I want you to know God. See that I am your servant and that let it be according to your word here. It's the call for every one of us then here today. How do you submit? You submit to the Lord. You submit obviously to his word, but you submit by being his servant, a servant like Mary. When God acts, when there is divine intervention, you have two options. You can be like Zachariah with skepticism and use the word can, or you can be like Mary in Wonderment and use the word will. I will be your servant. How will you do this? Let me know, O Lord, a desirous expectation. We all need intervention. And the intervention that we all need is found here in Luke, in this first chapter. The son that would come to save you. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, O Lord, for Your grace and mercy. May may we be like Mary in wonderment, calling upon the Son, calling upon the Son this morning. It's in His name we pray. Amen.